How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. As triathletes and endurance athletes, we're all obsessed with training, but often we neglect other areas of our life that make us better athletes. Like one of the things that has historically completely wrecked my training has been how terrible a sleeper I am. I used to train 30 hours a week every week, probably for like 18 months and operate off four to five hours of disrupted sleep a night. And I was literally so tired and grumpy and would have the biggest Arvo crash every single day. I just wasn't a good version of myself and definitely not the best athlete I could have been. But now I'm back training, sort of similar, like building up to 20 hours a week. And I haven't had this happen once yet. And I put it almost entirely down to making myself a glass of Pillar Performance's Triple Magnesium Powder 30 to 60 minutes before bed and leaving my phone in the kitchen as I do so every single night. I then go to bed, I read my book and I fall asleep so quickly, which just is, it's just not me. That's never happened in my life before. I'm sleeping right through the night and waking up fresh every single morning, full of energy and feeling so much better training. Like it's actually crazy. Like I know everyone talks about how sleep has that that impact, but you sort of like I've always heard that and been like, oh yeah, whatever. But it seriously just makes such a difference as an athlete having a full night's sleep. My girlfriend does a little bit of triathlon training as well and she got sick of me telling her all the time how awesome it was. This was before Pillar came on to support the show. I would just always tell her like, seriously, you have to try this. And so she she started trying true magnesium as well um, in the same routine and she noticed the exact same benefits as me. So now we both go through that routine together every night um, and are just happier, better people when we train the next morning. So head to pillarperformance.shop and use the code HTT20 at checkout for 20% off. Trust me, once you start using it, it'll just be part of your night routine every single night. CEO of the Professional Triathletes Organization, better known as the PTO, Sam Renouf, welcome to How They Train. Sam, it's great to have you on. This episode with us has been months in the making, but we're finally here. I've got so many things I want to ask you, so I'm literally just going to jump straight into the most requested question I got sent in by the fans for you. Sam, obviously you can't do the exact same distance as Ironman with trademarking and copywriting and those sort of things, but do you have any plans to create any PTO full distance events somewhere close to Ironman distance? And if so, will you make any of those races the PTO World Championships? Oh, wow. Come out swinging, huh? Nice. Um, so look, <laughs> in the future, yes. In the immediate, sorry, I should re- restate that. In the immediate future, no. In the long-term future, yes. And, and what I mean by that is we want to turn triathlon into a true broadcast product. And to do that, we have to have something that broadcasters will get behind. And that's why we created the 100-kilometer distance. It's nothing to do with us not liking 70.3 or anything like that. It's that we looked at what was a distance we felt could work with television. 100 kilometers takes roughly three hours, three hours, 15 minutes, which with a, a professional buildup and a professional wrap-up, as in things like interviews and all those kind of things, means we have a four-hour runtime. And I hope everyone would agree we've had some good early success in convincing broadcasters that that's a that's a tangible thing to take, right? Four hours works. Um, if we were to turn around to them tomorrow and say, hey, we want to jump to the 200 kilometer distance, which we've been very open that we have ambitions for, um, I would at this point get laughed out of the room, right? So short term, sorry, long term, yes, absolutely. Like we've, we're focused on long distance. We recognize that many athletes race longer than the 100 kilometers. In the shorter term, we're wanting to really make a dent and turn this into a broadcast sport and that means racing over the 100k 
I have heaps of questions about the broadcasting and the coverage and what your plans are with that. So I'm going to I'm gonna come back to that. But really quickly, just to stay on the world championships thing, do you guys – clearly you guys are following like a system relatively similar to golf or tennis with having the PTO tour and some key events like having some opens, which you could look at as like the golf opens or the tennis grand slams. And that seems to be the way you're trying to structure your sport and – and make a commercial package that is both easy for fans to understand, but also for broadcasters to under, understand and, and hopefully become a, you know, a, a live coverage TV product, or at least that's how I see, see what you guys are doing. Um, but will you guys be doing a world championships at all? Do you see the value in creating a professional triathletes organization world championships to try and compete with say the Ironman world championships? So rather than competing, and it's not necessarily an Ironman versus off point, and just rather than thinking about it as a world championships, what's the most important thing we think, and this is lacking at the moment and not something the PTO is doing well, right? So we need to evolve and we're very public that we're a young organization and we're learning and we're going to evolve towards this is that what the sport absolutely needs and is lacking at the moment is a season long narrative where we can see the best athletes race consistently throughout a season to crown a champion now whether that's a world champion whether it's a tour champion you know world, world triathlon move to a championship series um with their, their kind of structure that's not unique to triathlon every major sport does that right like take formula one right you start at the beginning of the season or premier league right you start at the beginning with zero you finish at the end with a score and that allows um whether you're a triathlon fan or just a general sporting fan to see the stories of the sport right and that is absolutely what's lacking at the moment we're on a path to create that with triathlon whether we call it a world championship or not um it's kind of that's more just like uh that's just a naming exercise right it's more about the process of creating a season-long narrative as i said the best athletes going head to head that's how you create a fan-based sport which is what we believe triathlon can be and currently i guess triathlon is largely a participation sport and a lot of people talk about this that the the average triathlon fan doesn't necessarily want to watch professional triathlons and whether that's because they're not available or they're not a good product yet or whether they just don't have any interest in it and they're in the sport to you know better themselves train themselves race themselves and don't really care that much about the the professional side of things i'm not sure but how do the pto plan to change that how do you how do you plan to create a sport that people not only care about but want to watch and might pay to watch or might stream like go out of their way to to stream so i'm going to answer your question a slightly different way i think the excuse that triathlon is a participation sport is used by the incumbents to not justify investing in in the media values that they could create right so the core ingredients of what triathlon is is some of the greatest athletes on the planet striving to push their bodies to levels that most sports can't even get close to now, if you take a step back, what I just said, then that absolutely describes a spectator media based sport. It's the fact that the triathlon industry for the last 45 years has operated from a participation model that many people say, well, that's just how it is. And it should stay that way. So that's kind of you've almost hit upon in you know, the first 10 minutes we've been chatting the exact essence of what the PTO has been created to do. Like we see the raw ingredients of so much greater potential than currently exists. And we're not going to sort of rest on our laurels or use an excuse that just because this is the way it's been done, it's the way it should be done into the future. Um, and if, you know, like you mentioned golf and tennis earlier, 
triathlon is is effectively golf in the 1960s and and what i mean by that is you've got and you take take the golf in comparison you've got lots of country clubs you've got lots of amateur players and there is the start of some professionals people like arnold palmer and, and names that have become world famous many years later but back in the 60s those guys basically lived hand to mouth or, or more specifically out of the backs of their cars and they would drive between the country clubs and compete in these little exhibitions and so it was professional but i say that in parentheses right and and what changed was couple of different things um again without going off into like a history lesson on golf a gentleman called mark mccormack who was the founder of img came along and said to arnold palmer you can sell stuff right you are a valuable personality that will drive you know a business outcome for sponsors and he completely transformed the the value of professionals and then something else happened which is the formation of the pga tour which was originally a breakaway for those who, who care about again about about golf history um, from the existing PGA of America, where it was a group of professionals who got together and said, we can have a greater role in our sport. Now, fast forward 45, well, more than that, like 50, 60 years, and many of those players are now billionaires. That's the journey we see triathlon going on. Not necessarily that, you know, the future Jan Frodeno becomes a billionaire, but it develops to being a true professional sport. So a little more specifically, how do you plan on doing that? What are the things that you're going to implement? What are your plans for not only the next sort of six to 12 months, but the next five years? How do you take a sport that, and I guess I'll just come out and ask, like I was going to say doesn't have that many spectators or doesn't have that many viewers. Um, so this is going to become a two-part question. How many people currently watch or stream each one of the PTO races. So say the US Open last year, the Canadian Open, yep. what are those viewership numbers exactly? And how do you plan on taking them from what they are now to something similar to one of the bigger sports like golf, tennis, Formula One? So this is where we get excited because the early shoots of what we're doing, and we are by far far from perfect, right? So, and I'm sure we'll spend a bit of time on it today. Is our TV production perfect? No, by a long sense. There's a lot of things we want to do, a lot of things we're learning. But the early shoots, if that's the right phrase to use, of um, the progress have been really encouraging. So like, like let me give you a, an average number. So our Canadian Open did 8.1 million viewership on linear. So that's an audited number by the TV agencies, by the TV broadcasters of how many people tuned in, 8 million. Now, now that's hard to put into context unless I sort of reference it, right? The A successful Formula One tournament or race, sorry, gets between 80 and 100 million tuning in. So already after only two years, we have shown that triathlon has an audience that's 10% of Formula One right a sport that's worth 20 billion dollars right? and so the underlying I, I would totally disagree i'm not necessarily disagreeing with you but I'm, I'm disagreeing with the statement that triathlon can't be a spectator um sport because i think what we're showing even in the very 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 early years of the pto is that there's the potential there if and it's a big important if you do two things one you have high production quality that the broadcasters are willing to take that product and put it on television which is primarily where triathlon has been lacking right because it hasn't been an area where the incumbents have invested in and the competition to us is not you know other triathlons when i'm talking about broadcast you're competing with other things that warner brothers discovery or nbc or cbs will put on that window right and so our competition is very very high and that makes it makes it difficult so that's the first thing that's been lacking is this high enough production quality that you can even get the broadcast windows to reach that audience and then second is a more fundamental one it doesn't matter how good the production quality is if you don't have the best athletes performing at the absolute top level it's never going to work right and that's the other thing that we felt was really lacking 
from triathlon is that the sport has got very fragmented and there aren't enough opportunities to see the very best athletes go head to head. Um, that's not unique to, to triathlon, right? Every sport is the same way. There's a reason why the US Open is dramatically better than almost any other tennis tournament. We know that you're going to see Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So long winding answer to how do we make this a TV product? Um, it's those two things, right? Firstly, those are some seriously impressive numbers, Sam. You're definitely not disagreeing with me either. Triathlon is by far my favorite sport in the world. and I love it and think it has the athletes, the stories and all the makings of being one of the best spectator sports in the world if done properly. Uh, like it's essentially just four to eight hours of the fittest people on the planet absolutely killing themselves in a race against each other. It's sort of what's not to love a little bit there. Um, but if someone had told me 8 million people had watched the Canadian Open, I seriously just probably wouldn't have believed them. So it's like pretty promising to hear that. Um, do you guys plan on this being something you continue to put out on your own PTO streaming service and then invest heavily in that platform, uh, making it high quality? Or do you think it'll be the case that the, in the near future, PTO races are being covered by the big media stations like ESPN in, in America or Sky in Europe or Foxtel in Australia? Yeah, no, look, really easy answer for, for that. Um, although lots of sports have streaming services and we have one for people who can't access through television, the only way triathlon will become the, the sport that you just described for the last couple of minutes is through broadcast partners. Uh, and the reason for that is even if we had the most amazing streaming program in the world and we spent a fortune on, on online marketing, we wouldn't be able to reach the audience that broadcasters can because they already have they have the audience, right? I mean, it sounds stupid, but it's obvious, right? The, the, and so that's the only way that triathlon will truly grow is to get mainstream broadcasters to engage with the sport and promote it in a way that they have in a very early stage with us. This is where, again, we've been we've been super encouraged, um, although there's many things we need to improve. The early success of the broadcasters hearing what we're doing and voting with their feet by giving us airtime, um, which in many cases we're being paid for, not a huge amount, but I don't mind saying, like, this is not a model where we're going and paying for broadcast it's the other way around it's the more traditional model where where broadcasters pay for for our content um and we were super encouraged that you know out of the gate instead of us having to be on facebook live we were getting mainstream um linear windows right translated into multiple languages which is not not uh, not easy to do um and if anything it's testament to that as as hopefully maybe you saw and and that we were we didn't put it, push it out that much, but um, most recently on our investment round, we added Warner Brothers Discovery as a shareholder in the PTO. So, I mean, what kind of validation can we, what better validation can you get that triathlon become a, can become a media product than one of the world's biggest media companies investing in the sport? So in 2023, are we going to be watching all of the PTO races through the PTO streaming services or is this the year where they might take place on other other um, company streaming services or, you know, on, on free-to-air TV or cable in, in other countries? Um, it really depends where you're based, Jack, right, and where you are, right? So part of what um, we're very busy working with some really fantastic people in the industry. So IMG, again, the, the name that I referenced earlier, that the kind of transformed sport back in the day, they represent us for media rights. So they're out there speaking to broadcasters and negotiating, saying, look at this amazing new um, new content, new sport. Let's put it on, on broadcast windows. So they're out there helping us with that. And the majority of people will watch through that way because that's just how traditional sport is watched. Um, in addition, 
we have invested because we think it's necessary in a streaming solution ourselves um, in the PTO Plus so that we can service those who don't necessarily have particular subscription in a different market or want to watch it on their phone because they're on Zwift or something like that. So there's sort of there's both options are available. Um, and probably the most important part that we haven't hit on yet is why are these broadcasters taking this content so early on? Um, the reason is really simple is triathlon is an unbelievably valuable sport from a demographic perspective, but it's totally under commercialized. And what I mean by that is, you know, the people that listen to this podcast the you are all and i say that as like speaking to the people that are listening an absolute marketer's dream you're the audience that most of these brands want to go after but until a media product has been created you as an audience have been totally fragmented and what i mean by that is let's make up an example if you're the cmo of goldman sachs and you want to be able to go after a really high value demographic like triathlon if you chose triathlon up until the pto came along you'd have to be writing you know lots of tiny checks to lots of different events to reach four or 5,000 people at a time. Um, and you do that a hundred times and you might add up to, you know, a couple of hundred thousand people. You're never going to go through that level of, of candidly brain damage as a marketer when you could just turn around to the PGA, give them a couple of million dollars and reach a similar audience. Now, that's why triathlon is under commercialized. Yet we think, and we believe, and we're showing it with the early progress, if you can create a media product, we can consolidate that really high value audience and it has value for the PTO and sponsorships but also for the media companies and selling advertising, which is why they're uh, they're taking the product and putting it on their windows. This is something that a lot of people have sent in to me for months now. If 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 I do potentially um, ever talk to you, can you ask this? And um, I put out a little feelers before this and said, "I'm how hey, I'm interviewing Sam um, Renouf of the PTO. What we, what do you want to ask?" And a lot of questions about world championships, and then a lot of questions about this. You've just described the general triathlon public as an audience. Um, and we've talked about the, the historic model in triathlon of being a participation sport. And a lot of people will describe triathlon as an age group sport where the pros are just a little little side piece of it and, and not really valuable to the sport. Do you guys see a direction in your future where not only are you catering to the professional side of the sport where you're trying to build a uh, a coverage of, of that and and like a you know take triathlon to the masses as a professional sport or are you also going to invest equally in the participation side of things and at all the pto events there'll be an equal emphasis placed on age groupers or amateurs um, competing at the race or are you going to move further away from that and further towards it just being a professional model um, let's use, use the words uh, carefully as I respond. So we won't invest equally because the professional part of the sport costs more money, right? So that's me just being really open about it, right? Whether it's prize money, TV, broadcast, all the rest, it will cost more money to deliver the professional side. So that's just being really candid about it because, you know, I wouldn't want you to come away from this saying, hey, Sam is saying it's 50-50 between age group and professional. So the professional piece just costs more. However, probably the more direct answer that you're wanting, we will absolutely have participation elements in every single event we have moving forward because this is one of the truly unique and exciting things about triathlon that, you know, we referenced the US Open earlier in tennis or you take the Masters, the Ryder Cup in golf. Those are not events where as a fan, the next day I can hop on center court and pretend uh, pretend is maybe too strong a word, um, feel like I'm Serena Williams or Djokovic, right? Whereas triathlon, this is a sport where 
And every day, and I say every day with you know a little bit of pinch of salt, because to be a triathlete is not an everyday exercise. But as an amateur participant, I can go and toe the line in the same event as the world's greatest athletes. And that doesn't happen in very many sports. In fact, it happens in, you know, I can count them on my left hand, right? Marathon, triathlon are basically only sports where as an amateur participant, I can truly be competing and comparing myself to the to the world's greatest athletes so that is the that's the primary reason why um we will continue to invest in participation and age group or whatever phrase that you want to use to describe it and to us it's one of the unique and special things about triathlon is that you have this connection between an amateur or a master's audience depending on which part of the world you call it um and the professionals i want to talk about money and lots of things revolving around money you've just sort of with this with this participation side of, of of your business model will that be used as like one of the main ways that you sort like fund the professional side of your business or will you guys try and make it a, a, as accessible as possible and you know it not really being hey let's make the prices as high as possible um you know if we've got the demand to do so to therefore fund our professional side of things or will you you know, aim to try and make things a little bit more accessible and not really go with the current format of of making your like participation triathlons exuberantly priced and, and really pricing quite a lot of people out of races unless they're relatively well off. I'm so glad you asked that question because that, that's what I was going to follow up and say is that although participation is absolutely at the core of what our events will be moving forward, we don't believe that the economics should sit on the back of age groupers. Right. And that's how the sport operates at the moment. Um, they are an important part of the overall mix. But from an economics financial perspective, no, it's not. It's not the major piece at all. It's a minority, if, if you can even call that. To us, it's a really important part to increase the atmosphere that makes the sport amazing. But if you try and operate a professional sport on the backs of the fans that are turning up, this is not just unique to triathlon. Any sport, if they operated that way, it wouldn't work. Right? Can you imagine Premier Premier League football if? Um, you had to pay all of Chelsea's uh, football salaries on the back of the ticket entries, right? They'd be bankrupt in about two seconds, right? And yet, for some reason, that's how triathlon operates at the moment. Um, so what does that mean? And I'm sure there's going to be a follow-up question, is uh, it puts us on the PTO to go and get other revenue sources and diversify, not in a way that's like, oh, you have to go and, and transform your business to survive, but we just have to look at every other professional sport and how revenues come into those those markets, which is a combination of corporate sponsorship, it's media rights revenue, it's um, economic hosting from governments, um, it's merchandising, it's ticketing, it's a full mix. And every other professional sport operates that way. Triathlon, until we've come along, has been built on the backs of age groupers, and we just don't think that's the right model. Something I've wondered for quite a while now, Sam, probably at least the last two years, and Something that I often hear when talking to other triathlon fans or even on, on this podcast, it's it's been a conversation um, point multiple times on this podcast, is the sustainability of your current model. Do you hear people talk about that? And what are your thoughts when you hear people saying things, you know, myself included, maybe just questioning, not even accusing, just wondering, yeah. is the model that you guys have right now sustainable of paying athletes, you know, a lot of money, these massive price purses, putting on this insanely good coverage compared to um, other other coverage of long course triathlon at the moment? Where are these guys getting this money? Can can they sustain this long term? So it's, it's not frustrating by any sense of the word. It's more um, what we have recognized, there seems to be sort of a lack of understanding or acceptance that 
in, in this sense, the PTO is no different from any other venture capital startup, right? And what that means is to launch and to build themselves up, they operate for multiple years, sometimes 10 years plus without making a profit. And the way they're able to do that is by taking investors' money who recognize the value in what they're creating. And it's maybe a little bit unusual in sport, and it's certainly unusual in triathlon. And so people sort of scratch their heads and say, well, what you're doing in the short term is not sustainable at all. And and I would agree without investor support, but the whole point of those investors, and in our case, we have some very, very intelligent, very successful investors that have, that have had massive impact on the world and the different industries they've operated in. They clearly see the path that this does become sustainable in the long term as we build the value, right? But if we think we can turn around in year one and um, be a profitable organization that's bringing, you know, transforming the sport to the level I just described um, without taking losses, I mean, no industry would operate like that. It takes time, right? It takes time and it takes money, it takes patience. And we are very fortunate, and I, I mean this very genuinely, as a sport, right? rather than as the PTO, as a sport, I think we're very fortunate that there are some very deep-pocketed, ambitious investors that have recognized the value that could exist in triathlon and are willing to um, take the risk capital to transform it. I want to talk about your races a little more specifically now. And Obviously, um, Sam, you guys haven't released your full schedule for, for 2023 at the moment. Um, you, you've come out and released the US Open and then um, and then Singapore on August 5th and August 20th. Can you give us any more updates about what other races you guys have this year and how many there, there's going to be or anything like that? Yeah, look, one of the reasons why I guess we're a month behind when you and I first planned to speak, right, at the beginning of January, was I'd hoped that we would get the full PTO tour for the year announced in early January. This is the reality of how hard doing this is. And that's look, a credit to the existing operators that are in the space. It's really tough to close down cities um, to put on long distance triathlons. It's as simple as that. Um, it's tough to do it with the existing model. It's near impossible when you layer in uh, an international broadcast to the level that we have, where we have age group racing separate to professionals, right? So that's one very big distinction that we didn't touch on. The um, more it's part, partly because we think the product works better to have them separately, and it's partly a necessity of of safety. Now, the unfortunate byproduct of that means we need dramatically more support from government in terms of road closures and things like this, and it's as we're experiencing, quite hard to get. So we're, we're a little bit behind the curve and we own that very much. It's not acceptable. And I have zero issues, anyone quoting me saying this, absolutely not acceptable that it's the early February and a professional organization hasn't announced its calendar yet. It is the reality of us being a startup. And over time, you know, over the next year or two, we are very confident we'll be in the position that the calendar gets announced way in advance of this, right? Like we're aiming to, you know, to get ahead of it. Um, the Towards the latter half of this year, we will announce the schedule, schedule for 24 and 25 so that people can begin to plan their time. But with that long and winding answer, to get more direct to your question, um, we've announced two events so far and our intention is to announce another two. So there'll be four in the, the PTO tour this year. Um, the the locations are under wraps, as you can probably imagine, um, because we're negotiating with those governments. And the last thing I want to do is feel like that we're bouncing them into announcing it. Um, but we're hoping over the next, what, three or four weeks that you'll see some bright, exciting news on some exciting venues where the PTO is going this year. Without divulging the countries, would you at least let me in on the continents? Not yet. 
It's <laughs> the simple answer, you know. Um, we've been pretty public that look, we want to go to Europe, we want to go to America, we want to go to Asia. This is a global sport, so one of the reasons why um, triathlon is so valuable is that it truly is a global sport, right? And there aren't that many of those, right? There generally aren't, right? If you sort of look through it, you might think, oh yeah, loads of sports are global. I can see them all around the world, but they're not necessarily played in lots of different markets. And this is again one of the reasons why our investors who do not come from triathlon, right? There's some important parts just to go to the investor base. So Michael Moritz, who is the majority investor in the PTO and, and you know our first backer, is not a triathlete. He's not doing this because he wants to hang out with Gustav Eden and Jan Frodeno. He's doing it because he recognizes a huge addressable market or TAM, which is the sort of the um, total addressable market is the, the VC word for that, and a disruptive business model in our case, which is, you know, an athlete owned um, broadcast um, model to go and create a sport. So so Michael invested because of those reasons, not because of him being a fan. Um Anyway, I went off on a winding tangent then, but um, yeah, not quite ready to announce where uh, where the tour events are. Sorry. Something I'm a little bit curious about is the the dates of these events. So obviously we have the the US Open on August 5th, and then we have Singapore on August 20th, and we don't know when the other two events are. So can only speculate. Maybe there's a longer break between them. Maybe they're all going to be in that that similar time frame. Are you a little bit worried that you're not? Because obviously the thing with F1 is it's where everyone who is in the sport of Formula One races, it's not split between other races or with, obviously it's changing a little bit in golf now, but most people still are just at the PGA or with tennis, every all the good, all the world's best athletes are just at the four big grand slams. Are you a little bit worried that people are going to do the US Open and then not be able to turn around in 15 days and... and travel across the across the globe to, to to race singapore and and because it's not a sport like golf or tennis where you can recover a little bit quickly like these three to four hour races can really take it out of someone particularly if they're going to try and do you know like the ironman 70.3 worlds that's on august 27th or um or even like the ironman world championships which is on september 10th it's obviously a lot of a big events packed in this tiny little space. Are, are you worried that you're going to get, you know, quite a deep field at, at the US Open, but then a weaker field at, at the Singapore Open and and not actually get the product you want with the world's best long course triathletes all facing each other over four races and, and to create this tour and this this ultimately, you know, you get the, the, the best athlete winning the tour because they don't actually go to all the events? So probably a couple of things to answer your question. Um, at a more broader strategic level, it is incredibly important, not just for the PTO, but for triathlon, that there is consistent racing with the best athletes. And do we have that yet? Absolutely not. Um, are we moving towards it? We think so, right? So it won't necessarily be achieved in 23. We're doing a bunch of things to be ready for 24, 25, where this is as much for our broadcast partners as it is for like all of us as fans of the sport, that we're able to commit that there will be x amount of events that have certain athletes that are racing head to head so that's a really important part that the sport just needs to, to evolve to that point and we've had that feedback from you know now our shareholders like folks like warner brothers discovery that that's how you become a professional sport so to, to use your, your example there of formula one right the um where is it formula one in monaco one weekend and then miami another it's not a bunch of different athletes right you know you're always watching lewis hamilton versus max verstappen etc cetera, etc cetera. and triathlon is not there today it needs to evolve evolve to that so that's probably the broader sort of macro answer to your question. Um, secondly, can um, uh, you know the international travel and the bouncing back and and recovery and things like this? Certainly, many of the athletes we speak to, and we have a very close relationship with our athlete board. Um, 
they believe that they can race these events and and back to back and make them work and we will see some interesting dynamics given quite how busy august is in particular for some athletes on making that work but we absolutely think it, it, it can happen um and then lastly the, the and i'll hit i'll hit it straight on it's incredibly hard to schedule these things unfortunately um and we were we didn't have much choice this year so one of the things we totally recognized we didn't do well last year in 2022 was um generate crowds to the events um and that's really important not necessarily for obviously it's important for the athletes and it's important for the experience on site but it's just important for the broadcast product to work right because no one wants to switch on a tv program and see um, whether it's athletes or, or anything. Oh, sorry, from a spectator sport perspective, like if you see a football game and there's no one in the stands, you quickly switch on to the next thing because you know if there's no one bothering to turn up. Why should I spend my time watching it on TV, right? And and COVID showed that so well that I'm sure everyone would agree. If you're a fan of whatever sport, watching without spectators was a totally different dynamic. And so we have to work out a way with the PTO that if if it's not a natural spectator sport already, how do we make sure we we overcome that? And so going to Milwaukee, which is an event that already has close to 8,000 age groupers and probably about 30,000 people on site, was a quick way to fix that. The trade-off was unfortunately that we ended up with two events in August. So um, we gain in one area and we lose in another because of that's the way the scheduling worked. But there's certainly a rationale behind it if, it if it seems strange to those on the outside, which we completely understand. So I'm going to ask you without wanting to ever hold you to the answer of this question, Sam. What do you, <laughs> what do you see as in an ideal world? What is the ideal amount of races over a calendar year or a season? Because I guess that's how you're trying to structure it, isn't it? Sort of similar to F1 or tennis or golf or any of the other big sports. Having a triathlon season with X amount of races that the PTO run and and then ultimately like a world champion or, a, or a, like a, a tour champion being decided at the end of it, uh, then a break and then go into the next year's season. How many races is the ideal in that in that setup? So it depends on the distance, right? So if it was Olympic distance, you could probably do 10, 11, 12, maybe even more. Um, if it's uh, Ironman distance, four tops, maybe three, right? Depending on the on the athlete, maybe five if you're like, there are some that do more than that. Um, if you're in between, the number is going to be somewhere in between two, right? So um, it's all about the distance and making sure that athletes can recover. To, uh, it's recovery, it's travel, and that plays into it. So um that it's kind of it's a nuanced answer but with the middle distance we think we can um, have a product that athletes can consistently race throughout the season that will create that narrative that allows us to turn into fans of the sport and see a battle right and and the, the season long piece is really important because it allows you to tell so many more stories than who's winning right so like if you take drive to survive is such an incredible almost cliched how how good it is right um and i'm sure the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast have seen it and one of the the, the unique things about drive to survive is it doesn't really talk about who's winning right it talks about the battles in 17th and 18th and relegation and all these kind of things but you can only do that if you have a proper season where those battles are taking place over and i say battle because it is right sport is gladiatorial um that takes place over five six seven eight nine events um if you've got one or two here and there then who's in ninth place or 11th place, it just, it's not going to catch anyone's attention. So all really important things that we need to do as a sport to, to build up the fan base and really take it to where, uh, as you said, it could be one of the top 10 sports in the world if these kind of things get fixed. If you're listening to this, train for triathlon, but don't wear form goggles when you swim, you're seriously missing out. 
It took me personally way too long to try them. And when I finally bought a pair, I was so annoyed I hadn't been swimming with them earlier. The main reasons I love them is I find swimming quite boring a lot of the time and struggle to get motivated to even go to the pool, let alone get in, especially when the weather's a bit cold or I'm out there swimming by myself. Using my form goggles has completely changed that because it makes the session go by so much faster. It really motivates me to tick off the session exactly as it's set and gives me real-time data on whether I'm doing that or not. And because of that, before I know it, I've done three, four kilometer and I didn't even realize it. It felt like I would, I've barely been there. Whereas I used to get to like a thousand meters or 1500 meters and be so bored and just ready to get out. Like I would literally just be looking for a reason to get out. So if you want your swim training to be more motivating, funner, more data driven and want to stop wearing your smartwatch on your wrist, which is annoying as, as we all know, then go to formswim.com. Get yourself some form smart goggles and use the code HTT15 for 15% off them. Plus, when you use the code HTT15, not only do you get 15% off, but you also get a free one-year premium membership to the form app, which comes with heaps of swim programs, like you know, um, three months worth of swim programs and and individual swim sessions. It's actually awesome, and that you can just transfer them straight from the app onto your goggles, so you sort of start swimming and and the session just goes by as you swim it just takes you through it like it's it's like it's pretty much like it's a swim coach but it's in your goggles it's seriously awesome it's so motivating Um, i bloody love them and if you if you go to formswim.com and use the code htt15 it also supports the show and keeps this show running so it's it's a win-win for everyone and so just like thinking about the next few years, like so 2023, 2024, 25, 26, do you guys have planned exactly how you're going to make this work? You've you've said that you do have plans to do some longer course racing, just not in the immediate future. And just then you've sort of said, well, you could do 10 Olympic distance races or three or four long course races and somewhere in, in the middle with, with sort of PTO length races at the moment. So directly with with what your plans are how many races do you think you will do in like 2024 and then 2025 and then 2026 and how long are you going to stick with this 100 kilometer pto distance for uh, as being the distance that's at all of those races where the the champion just is decided at the end and how like do you have plans about how you might bring in the longer course stuff or are you just going to stick to this distance and with like x amount of races create that season and if people love that just potentially stay with that and not even go into the longer course stuff so we have um let's unpack a lot of lot of your question there so do we have a plan yes it's a you know a five-year plan that's been underwritten by our investors and they're supportive and we've now shared recently with the athlete board some some evolution of that um we will be ready to share it publicly coming up this summer so not quite ready with all the, all the details yet but to your question on sustainability and things like that look can we go and get investment from from an investor the level of Sir michael moritz without showing a five-year plan to sustainability absolutely no right so like it's a minimum requirement of you know and, and i don't want to pin this all on Sir michael right same principle with Warner Brothers Discovery, right? They're backing this now. They want to see a path that this is creating a true professional sport. It's not going to happen overnight, but in a five-year time frame, I think everyone's comfortable with that. Um, that's the, sorry, the, the first part to your question. Um, secondly, where does the longer distance racing fit into this? I'll go back to that point. This is all about making a broadcast 
broadcast product or a media pro media product. Um, and for us, we think the 100 kilometer distance in the short term is the right product for that because we can get the broadcasters to really embrace this. Now, if over the next three or four years, they see great success for that and we've achieved it, we can probably go to, you know, the head of production is someone we know very well at, at Warner Brothers as an example, at Warner Brothers Discovery, and say, hey, look, can we do something longer? Can we show you what these athletes can do over 200 kilometer distance and see what happens at kilometer 36 and 38 and 39 and all the things that we know we are more traditional, uh, traditionally used to as, as stories as as, um, as fans of the sport, but have never been played out on broadcast because it's near impossible to make it work. So that's got to come in, in three or four years time. Um, and then how does that all get tied together? Look, we want to, and I, and I again, as I repeat what I said like 20 minutes ago, it is unacceptable for us as, a, as an entity that in February, we don't already have the schedule announced. So we're already getting ahead that for, for season 24, 25, 26, we can be really transparent. This is where we're, gonna, where we're gonna be. These are the locations, these are the distances, this is the time of year, and these are the athletes that we're gonna see. And once we've got those three pieces all plugged together, then we can begin to see a professional sport. But we're not there yet, but we're um, excited by the progress and hopefully people are seeing that, that you know we're, we're only two years into this candidly, like it feels like a lot longer at times, um, but we're well through three years, beginning of 23 now. Um, we're we're seeing great progress, but we're definitely nowhere near the potential of where this can go yet. Sam, I've loved most of what the PTO have been doing in recent times, like particularly in 2022. I think the best year you guys have had in your history so far, very short history, but I loved the Canadian Open. I loved the US Open. They're the two best events you've ever done, and and they they were they were actually awesome. The coverage was 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 largely great. There's a few things I want to touch on there, but. I've hated the Collins Cup, the Collins Cup since the start, and I've never <laughs> actually talked to anyone who likes the Collins Cup. Now I don't know if that's because I'm in this little, you know, uh, what do they call it? like eco chamber of people who don't like it, and or, or maybe I put that onto people, and so I'm not talking to people who like it. But still, the point remains that I haven't really heard much positivity about it. I'd be curious to know the numbers on it or if there's a reason why you guys are still going down that path because it seems like this real outlier event that doesn't have relevance to these other events you're doing. I don't like the format. The format seems to go against the, the other things you're doing. It just it just seems like this little, um, you know, like ugly duckling of the group. <laughs> ugly duckling, I, I like that phrase. Um, so look, we're we're very much a startup still right like as you said and i appreciate you saying 22 is our best year because that's our second year and hopefully 23 becomes a better one um we're learning every day and the one thing we really really do work hard on is to listen right and take feedback and evolve and, and things like that is the collins cup the perfect product absolutely not of course not like can it evolve and will it evolve and when we look at the format and change it i'm not going to commit like on this podcast that we're going to change it tomorrow but will it evolve over time 100 because it needs to right like just like like any sport um now the difference though and then uh, sort of starting with that point that it's certainly not going to set in stone forever the difference of why the collins cup is special and what it was designed to do was to appeal to a broader audience than the folks that are in the echo chamber like you described right the, this is primarily built around the concept that you can switch on the tv not know what triathlon is but immediately engage because of two things because of the way that the teams are built, that this is a battle between Europe, the US and international. So that's one reason. And secondly, that unlike triathlon, that has a time-based narrative, 
the Collins Cup has a score-based narrative that you can immediately see that and go, oh, US is up, international is down. And that makes it immediately addressable. The reason why we know those two things will work in the long term, right? There might be some tweaks around the product and the matches and who races who and things like that. But those core tenants of building rivalries between um, continents rather than individuals and then being score-based is the reason that the Ryder Cup is the, is the event that truly transcends golf. All right, and is dramatically bigger than anything else in that sport because I don't need to know who Mickelson or Woods or anyone else is. I can switch on and say Europe is beating the US and become engaged. Right. So that was the sort of the core underpinnings of why the Collins Cup was created in the way it was. And whether we as uh, we collectively as a sport like it or not, one thing it did do is catch the interest of the broadcasters, right? And it immediately showed that we were doing things differently. And that was one of the reasons why we've had the traction. I'm sure, you know, many reasons, but one of the reasons why we've had the traction we did is that we've come out with a new format that shows we'll do things differently. Now, will that will that and should that evolve over time? Yes. And I think you'll see changes in, you know, coming up in the future years. Hopefully you'll like it more then. <laughs> One of the big things, I just can't, like, I'm an Australian, right? I think it's awesome that there's a Team America, but what is Team International? Like, to me, I can't invest in it because it's, that's so, like, it's just so many countries. It's, you know, I, I can understand being an American, getting, getting behind Team America, and that there, to me, is on the right path. But if you're going to do it like that, why not do it the so it has a few more countries? Why not make some qualifying criteria so that, hey, if your country wants to be a part of the Collins Cup, you have to have three people, four people inside the top whatever it is or, you know, an aggregate of, of this rankings. And then you could actually have countries that people could get behind, whether it be Team America, Team France, Team Australia. And then it changes every year. So if you don't qualify, if you don't meet the qualifying um, criteria, then your country's not in it. They get relegated. And then to get back into it, they have to re-qualify. It, it does a few things. It adds a lot more excitement to your rankings and makes them far more relevant. But it also gives people a team to really jump behind. Like I'm never jumping behind Team International, even though that's what Australia um, is, in, like, is inside of. I just, I don't connect to it. I, if I was an American, I could connect to America, I, I guess. And I don't know, I'd, I'd have to ask Europeans, but I couldn't see myself being from England and being like, well, I really resonate with with team europe so this is where we um we think you're wrong and it's more from a we're looking at other sports and what works right so if i if i take the Ryder cup example or the president's cup which is maybe a better example right so the president's cup is literally international versus the us um the reason why it works is it allows um as an as a product you to consolidate an audience into one place and what i mean by that without sounding too like overly media media rights um like a media rights consultant, um, what you do is, let me take a European example. In the Ryder Cup, I will shout passionately for a Belgian golfer because we're united around Europe against the US, right? So it is consolidating the attention of an entire continent. Whereas if I switch on and I see a Belgian athlete in a normal race um, versus a Brit, I couldn't give a monkeys, right? Because we're all nationalistic and we follow the countries we're in. So it's a really simple reason why we group the way that the group it the way it does. Um, and it's been proven to be very successful in, in other sports. Now, whether we have the right format that underpins those kind of logics of inter international rivalries, match-based format, score-based format, sorry, um, is another question, right? So like, does the core product that we've got of three athletes going head to head, blah, 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 work? That's a different question. But the, the core principles of why we've structured USA versus international versus Europe 
is because it's worked incredibly well in other sports and we need to as a sport as a triathlon to learn from other sports and take the best bits and apply it to us if we're going to be successful so um but look i'll, I'll add the last caveat that this is one of the great things about sport right everyone's got an opinion and they can get really passionate are there the right answers wrong answers the rest the point is that we all debate them and that's what gets things exciting from a pure numbers sam um, standpoint sam does the collins cup do as well as as like the canadian open and the u.s open yeah, they, they stack up. There's not much between them, frankly. Um, the uh, Canadian Open, this is where it begins. Look, I'll, I'll give some nuance, but I appreciate the people who listen to this podcast are generally listening to far more interesting people than me talk about very um, uh, unique uh, training methods. So look, I'll go into a little bit of detail here. One of the the things that we also have to work on is when do the broadcasts get shown, right? When, when are the best windows? And so one of the reasons that the Canadian Open was really successful was that we worked with Eurosport to say, when is the likely period of getting the best tune-in audience for triathlon? And look, unsurprisingly, perhaps to anyone, it's right after the Tour de France, right? And so we worked with them to actually schedule our races. We, we specifically delayed the start times. In fact, in the case of Canada, we, we put them earlier so that we could go from the Tour de France and on the, you know, the largest endurance sport from a broadcast perspective at least product in the world and you had the commentators on Eurosport saying and stay on you know stay on the line or st stay on tv for another 20 minutes because you're going to go from the world's greatest cyclist to the world's greatest triathletes and that causes an audience to lift um so we had a we had a benefit from that in the Canadian Open and that's a strategy we're going to follow with many of the the other events and this is where why is triathlon not a broadcast sport yet or until we've come along is that it's complicated, right? It takes nuance. It takes relationships with these broadcasters to figure out the right mix that this really pops. Would you guys consider, and, and you've already brought it up before, would you guys consider splashing a large amount of, um, of cash into a drive to survive type documentary where you went and followed Jan Frodeno, Gustav Eden, Christian Blumenfeld, Lucy Charles, Arne Haug, Daniela Reef, if they would let you and and I guess they would do it for money would be their main driver. Would you guys consider going that path and really investing hard in a, a documentary, reality TV type, type series, 10-part series where you followed um, like say a 2024 season or, or a 2025 season whenever you could make it viable? So you hit on the right point then just at the end of your question. Um, it needs to be the point where it's viable, right? So we need to have enough of a season-long narrative to get the benefit from a series like that. But at that point, 100%. You know, and that's where not necessarily a drive to survive, you know, copy copycat, because it's almost cliched how many sports organizations are doing that at the moment. But um, I think the broader topic is how do we elevate triathlon? The way to do that is to create superstars out of the athletes. And the way to do that is to create media around them, right? If you look, and there's, there's not a sport that isn't different from this. Every professional sport that has ever grown has grown off the backs of three or four or sometimes even less personalities that just connect with the broader public. And um, sometimes it's luck about when that happens. Sometimes it is the right investment at the right time. And one could say that, that that's luck too. Um, but that's 100% something that the PTO is thinking about spending time on indeed look most of the team at the pto are in content right it's uh we're just under 30 people across everything that we have and the vast majority of that is marketing and content because that's what we think is lacking in the sport right so we have far more people focused on that than on event operations as an example because event operations capabilities again without going too more new too much nuance for everybody that exists already right there are lots of fantastic event operators that we can work with that can deliver safe events even with the very very difficult hoop jumping exercise that we have to go through with, with governments but what's been lacking in this space is storytelling 
and really getting behind the personalities of these athletes because they are the stories and the personalities in triathlon are phenomenal. It's just that there's been no one telling them. In the past, I have been super critical about um, how Ironman particularly cover the sport. I, I feel like the commentary is way, way below what the standard of, of commentary at professional sporting events should be that are televised. And even the coverage, you know, like too many talks with sponsors, too many irrelevant things, missing key parts of the race, not knowing athletes' names or anything about them. And I think you guys are better at that. Like a few of your commentators are really good. Like Vicky Holland is amazing, mate. One of the best commentators that I've seen on a triathlon event. And you guys have had other professionals there who really know their stuff. Um, my question is, when it comes to commentary, are you guys going to continue going with a lead commentator? This year, you guys used John Gooden, for example, who's an MMA commentator. He really doesn't know that much about triathlon. And it's nothing personal against John. I was just... I think as triathlon fans, we really want people who are telling the stories, who know the sport, know the athletes, are passionate about the sport, um, commentating our races so that they can tell the stories properly. So uh, what direction are you guys going to head with that in the future? So yeah, a couple of different things again. Like it's always always easy to unpack your questions into a couple of different answers. Um, uh, first, sport. Again, this is one of the special things about sport, right? Everyone's got an opinion, and it's different, and it's unique, and that's great, right? We always want that. Um, I appreciate the comments on on broadcast and the progress we've made. Um, I guarantee, even with the way social media is, we are the biggest critique on the progress we've made, and we've got people that have got you know decades and decades of experience in the very, very top sports that are coming to help us on this journey. And it's by no means perfect, and there'll be a lot of evolution and go from that. So that's very much the attitude we have here. We're not sitting on our laurels. There's a lot we're learning. There are some things around technology and data in the broadcast that we haven't got right yet that are going to take some more time. But when we get them right, and that's not me, sort of like trying to put something out there it's like generally something we're really working on hard it will transform the way a broadcast happens right because if I, I use a very obvious example if you see two athletes or if you see christian and gustav running next to each other the vast majority of people have no contextual relevance of how hard and how fast they're going or, or how phenomenal their performance is right whereas it's a bit easier in something like tennis or golf that you can see if they're hitting practically a hole in one that's amazing Right. So it's immediately immediately contextually relevant, which is the, the phrase um, in broadcast. So we need to work on ways that we can make the athletic performance of our athletes more contextually relevant to the audience. Are we good at that? No. Are we getting better at it and investing in it? Yes. Um, the commentary, look, it's an interesting piece. And I'm, it's interesting that you bring up John Gooden in particular, because he's a good example of actually what the strategy we're leading into is that what triathlon has primarily lacked in the past, you know, with ourselves included, is that you have a bunch of different experts that all just do the same role and just talk, right? Whereas actually the the right model, and uh, to their credit, I think Clash do this phenomenally well, which just shows the background they have in NASCAR, is to have, if I use the American phrase, um, an anchor um, that doesn't necessarily know very much about the sport, but is a professional broadcaster and a professional commentator that can tease the expert insights out from, and the, the name gives away what they are, the experts, right? So if you use John Gooden as an example, I don't want John to know a lot about triathlon. He needs to know contextually who the athletes are and the rest. He can't sound stupid or anything, but his role is to describe what's happening and then ask for the insights from the experts, right? By the same principle, we have a, a gentleman called Alex Payne, who is 
phenomenal um, presenter who's got a lot of experience in top tier sports. He obviously has got to know triathlon really well, but his job is not to be an expert. His job is not to know everything. His job is to go and get the information live from the athletes on the course in a way, or sorry, after, after the event, um, in a way that you need a professional broadcaster to do that, not a professional triathlete, right? And so these are the things that we'll, we'll learn and evolve over time, but wanted to add a bit of context that it's not as simple as having, you know, the five people that most know the most about triathlon and giving them the microphone there's a real structure here to, to how things are put together and then just a couple more things around the specifics of the race and and taking the, the sport of professional triathlon to like a truly professional level so we have issues in professional triathlon now around like our referees or our technical officials and drafting and it was a massive issue in 2022 are you guys going to implement technology to make sure that that isn't just this like um this guessing game and that we have proper technology to tell whether people are drafting and we have good graphics on our screen when we're watching races so we know hey this person has a penalty why do they have a penalty um and and that kind of thing are we going to get body cams on on our referees are you guys going to pay referees and and make them full-time employees rather than just these volunteers who have to come in and face this impossible task of refereeing a professional sport but doing it as a complete side hustle as a volunteer Short answer, yes. <laughs> all of the all of the above. Um, look, one of the uh, and this is one of those realities that this is a sport that is maturing really, really quickly at very, very top tier broadcast, where you just can't get away with stuff that you can do if you're not like being seen by millions of people around the world, right? Um, I'll use a uh, sort of, a, in my opinion, amusing example, but um, perhaps you guys won't find it as funny. Um, when our um, we first brought on our head of production, uh, he came from Formula One for the last twenty years. And just and sort of walked him through how how this works, and he understood that we wouldn't have real time location and timing of athletes. We would have to wait every three or four kilometers for them to cross a mat to know who's winning. I mean, he couldn't believe it. He was like, "You mean it's it's like watching a tennis tournament, and every fifth shot, or sorry, every every fifth um, time they they play, you say what the score is, right? It would be ridiculous if you had to just wait to oh now we're forty love, right? And then you wait for another five shots, right? But that's how triathlon operates at the moment because. No one has invested in the technology that's required to have real-time GPS that can then influence so many things, whether it's graphics, whether it's drafting, all these all these kind of stuff. But this is just where the sport is at the moment, um, and it's maturing, you know, very fast. To the right back to one of the opening questions you had, and you know, why isn't triathlon there yet? We've got to remember triathlon's really young, right? This is a forty-five-year-old sport. It's not been going for one hundred and twenty years, like many that we compare to, um, and it's maturing really fast. Um, we're, you know, one of the drivers of that maturity, but there are others too, and we're excited about where it's going. And with this motorbikes in races and uh, obviously have been affecting races a lot of professionals have come out and straight said that sam laid though only got the break he did at the ironman world championships because of the motorbikes around him they're, they're on record as saying that how are you guys going to make sure that your coverage doesn't impact what happens at the race um, and another side question drafting distances what do you guys as the pto believe is the best dra- not like um the best draft zone to make sure that people aren't drafting. So um, we have a very close relationship with the athletes, obviously, because we're an athlete body, right? And we take their feedback very regularly. Like we even even mid race, right? When I say mid race, I don't mean like literally mid race when they're racing. I mean during the event weekend, we've met with the athletes, recognized if there've been challenges and, and evolved, right? And so that that's been relatively publicly publicly covered. Um, this again is back to the point that 
this is an immature sport from a broadcast perspective and everyone's having to learn to make it work, right? There was a reason, candidly, that World Triathlon adopted draft, drafting, what, back in 1995, was because they felt that was the better model for, for TV. I'm not saying <laughs> that we're going to go and change triathlon, long-distance triathlon into a drafting distance, but there are reasons why why those guys went through it. Um, to your question on what is the exact, uh, what's the right distance, I'm not the engineer within the group, nor am I the athlete anymore. I was very fairly average 20 years ago, so I'm not the one to go to sort of make the call on it but i can say you know at the moment we're using 20 meters and that seems to be the right distance for a fair racing um whether that evolves over time is is, is not my area of the business when we watch the tennis we say we're watching the tennis like same with golf same with soccer same with most sports in the world there's obviously a few exceptions like with mma we say we're watching the ufc and f1's even that way that way a little bit i guess that's car racing technically but we say we're watching the f1 so it takes me into the name of the professional triathletes organization in the future in an ideal world when people are watching your races do you want them to be saying oh i'm watching the triathlon today or do you want them to be saying oh i'm watching the pto and do you even like the name the pto or do you think that might change and evolve over time I look, it's a super relevant and interesting question. We talk about it quite regularly, right? So one of the challenges of the name PTO is that in the vast majority of the world, that means paid time off, right? So if you Google PTO, you get holidays. <laughs> now that's going to be hard for us ever to make this a truly broadcast, uh, sorry, a, a, you know, a mainstream sport if, if that's what our name is. But look, PTO is the acronym, no different from, you know, FIFA or UEFA or anything like that, right? Like that's the, the body that that's representative whether the events are called something different there's a reason why the asian open is called the asian open right it sort of does what it says on the tin i think you you make an interesting point again without sport is something you can debate for ages with with golf and tennis one of the reasons you refer to them that way is there actually are a lot of different codes there's no dominant brand right so although the pga tour is the biggest in golf by quite a long way you've got the european tour you've got the asian tour you've now got live in tennis, the ATP is big, but the WTA is big and Wimbledon's bigger, arguably, right? From a from a from a different perspective. Whereas in MMA, UFC is the dominant player. And so I think it's there's no sort of one standard here. Um, but does I guess really blunt answer to your question, is PTO racing the name that we'll have forever? Maybe not, maybe. Um, it's hard to predict where we'll go, but certainly as, uh, as we develop the sport, we're listening to the feedback and thinking about what's the right way that we really genuinely elevate triathlon to the level it could be because it has so much going for it, but it's been held back too long. Firstly, Sam, I think this has been awesome because we've covered so much so quickly. You're, you're very good at getting directly to the question asked and answering them like in the most succinct way possible, but giving a heap of information. So firstly, kudos to that. Amazing. I do want to touch on Ironman a bit though, because it's sort of the elephant in the room when it comes to talking about professional triathlon. And I get that it's hard for you as the CEO of, I don't know, I was going to say the direct competitor. I don't know if that's how you see it. Do you guys talk about Ironman much as an organization? Do you guys see yourself as competing against Ironman? Do you guys see yourself as trying to take over from Ironman? Um, so I need scheduled 45 minutes for this. So I'm going to have to drop off. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, no, 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 look. Uh, we totally recognize the importance of Ironman in the space. And look, triathlon is triathlon because of the, because of what, one of the reasons I should say, sorry, I restate that. One of the reasons triathlon is triathlon is the phenomenal success those guys have had over the last 10 years, right? And to really grow the sport and to take it in new places and, and arguably, 
triathlon is what it is because of Julie Moss crawling across the finish line in, in Kona, right? Whenever it was, 83, 84, uh, around that time period. So it's an incredibly important part of the sport and no one should get away from that, right? Do we agree with everything that they do and the way they operate in certain ways, like their strategy and things like this? Clearly not, because we're coming to the market and doing things in a different way. But um, they're an incredibly important part of the ecosystem um, and we have huge respect for the events they, they deliver. This stuff is really hard, right? And, and we touched on it a little bit earlier. The ability to close roads and deliver a safe, exciting experience, whether you're a professional or an amateur, is really tough. And I think people miss that sometimes. So to do that at, what, 200 countries or whatever, sorry, not 200 countries, 200 events around the world, it's it's pretty phenomenal. Um, does it have truly the potential for triathlon or does triathlon have its potential? Absolutely not. Or is it, sorry, I'm, I'm saying that wrong, but hopefully you pick up what I mean. Has triathlon achieved its true potential yet? Absolutely not. And that's why we've come along and, and got the support of some very forward looking investors that think triathlon can go way further. So um, I think may, maybe that answers your question. I, I don't know, less uh, articulate than normal. And if you do want to eat lunch, mate, go right ahead. It's become pretty standard on the podcast for my guests to eat lunch while I talk to them. So go for it. I've got my coffee here. No, I'm all good. It's, it's bright and early where I am. Um, I'm in, in a little hotel room in a, in a venue that I'm not going to say out loud because we're working on trying to get them to convince us, sorry, trying to convince them to allow us to close the roads far longer than, they, than they'd like to. But the end result <laughs> will be pretty special if we pull it off. Do you see a world where the PTO or whatever name you might be in the future are just the professional side of the sport and iron and because of your disruption in this space and advancement in this space iron man become purely the place where age groupers or amateurs go to race and then you sort of sort out this issue for iron man where they have the professionals they don't quite know what to do with them they don't want to spend that much money on them they're very focused on the participation side of things but you guys have come in and 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 done the opposite with your model hey we want to really focus on the pros we also would love to have some participation and and get um age groupers involved in this in in our um in our races but we are really going all in on the pros as well do you, yeah do you see a world where where you guys are the pro side of triathlon and iron man are the age group side of triathlon so I'm glad you kept going there because you actually asked me before, um, do we view Ironman as a competitor? And 100% the answer is no, right? We have a fundamentally different strategy here um, where, as we said before, like they're, they're out there creating events around the world. And I think it's, you know, upwards of 50 or 60 countries. Um, even if we grow, and, I, and, I've, and I've kind of alluded to without saying it, right, that we have growth ambitions because we think we need to have more to create that season-long narrative. But even if we did that, like uh, the amount of events we'd have, you'd be able to hold on two hands, right? And so, uh, sorry, count on, count on two hands. Um, so it's a fundamentally different business model. Um, one of the interesting dynamics about that and where um, we think that we're a, we're a great thing for Ironman is that, you know, after the professionals, the biggest beneficiary of the PTO success will be Ironman, right? Because, and what I mean by that, if it isn't fairly obvious, is Ironman has the inventory, has most of the events out there. So if the PTO investing in what it's doing and creating the events that we do and building up the professionals and promoting the sport grows triathlon, after the professionals that obviously we're paying very well, the biggest beneficiary will be Ironman, right? Because their events will grow and the rest. And so we think there's a very natural symbiotic relationship that we can have with them. And we absolutely don't treat them as a competitor or view it as a zero-sum game. Um, and that's not a political answer of me trying to be nice. That's just, to me, logical, right? But hopefully that everyone can see from what I've just said. 
Sam, I'm not going to lie that while I've loved the step up in coverage of the sport from the PTO and your visionary approach and I've loved the ability for professionals to finally make some good money while racing PTO races, I have been super sceptical that the model just won't last and you'll run out of money. And, and maybe I just keep thinking that because of the history of the coverage of pro triathlon um, and it not really being done very well that yeah that the money will run out and we'll be back to it just being a, a monopoly by iron man before too long but yeah this conversation it's given me some real hope um you're you're a really smart and clearly very passionate ceo and while i am personally already clearly sold on the idea that professional triathlon can be a massive sport watched by the masses you've made me think that the pto really might be the the ones who will like finally make it happen well, that's nice to hear. Look, and it's not um, it's it's one thing to have good answers to questions that that underpinned on what we think is a pretty simple strategy, right? At the end of the day, this is an incredibly valuable sport that is filled with truly superhuman athletes that are some of the greatest on the greatest on the planet, but their stories aren't being told. But if they are, the end result will be pretty special, and we're very fortunate. And I and I do mean that. I use the word fortunate on purpose. That we've had some backers, whether that's Warner Brothers Discovery, whether it's a Michael, whether it's the other investors that have joined recently, that recognise the potential in the space. And so we, as an organisation, feel really fortunate of the journey we have ahead. And hopefully, we can unite everyone around that. And you know, fast forward five or ten years, this is as big as golf and tennis, as as you said earlier. Are you more like a CEO type of guy who? cares about the long-term vision of the sport and the direction of the sport and that's it or are you also just because i don't know know much about you personally or, or are you just a true fan of the sport who because of that has become a ceo of a, a big company like the pto uh it's probably a combination of both look is the, this is more than a job to me right it's become and, and indeed many of the folks in the organization this has almost become a mission um it's been talked about beforehand i was a very 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 average elite triathlete as a as a as a college student as a university and i retired because uh a i didn't have enough talent and that was a very simple answer and b there wasn't enough money in the space so the opportunity as in for, for the athletes so the opportunity some 20 years later to be sort of change that becomes a calling rather than a career right so that there's and and that's very motivating and exciting um at the more specific level of like the day-to-day -day, we're still a tiny little organization in the shape of the world and we've got a great team behind us and it's there's a lot of folks that are very much putting their their sweats and ingenuity and and uh and expertise to making this sport better and we're all very we feel very privileged to have that journey could i ask you just two more like questions that are probably going to be pretty tough for you to answer so i will let you sit on the fence but i'd love it if you kept going along the line you are of not sitting on the fence and giving me really direct honest answers if if you guys um could could like could manage to get everyone on a start line this year and and you got all of the ma the best male triathletes and all the best female triathletes at one of your pto races this year Let's start with with the women's race. If you got like Anne Hag, Daniela Reef, Ash Gentle, Taylor Nib, Lucy Charles, Laura Phillip, Chelsea Sodaro, I don't know who I must, Paula Finlay, I'm trying to think who else is in the top 10. That's all off the top of my head. If you got them all in a race, who are you as the CEO of the PTO backing to win that race? <laughs> so I, I don't have an answer, not because I'm being political, but just because that's not what I spend time thinking about. I'm genuinely, right? It's the... Um, I want to create the stage that the athletes can go and perform on. And that's really what I'm focused on. So, and I mean that not because I don't want to be a, perceived as favoritism. It's generally the truth, right? It's the athleticism that comes from us setting the stage is what's important to me. So not Taylor Neeb. 
<laughs> not anyone generally right I, well I'll, maybe I'll, I'll rephrase it what i would like to see is battles right is exciting racing that comes down to the wire and people striving to achieve it and blowing up in a safe way not that it's not like medically not safe for them that's far more important to me than who crosses the tape first right it's the creating an exciting engaging race and that's really what what we spend time thinking about whether it's taylor or laura or chelsea or lucy to me um the best athlete will come through if we set the right stage for them I bloody love that answer, Sam. I was going to go through and try and list all the guys and get you to make that answer as well, but obviously won't waste anyone's time there. But I love that answer because that's what I love about triathlon is the the battles between the the big professionals on the biggest stage. So, yeah, I like – I don't know. You speak to triathlon fans in everything you're saying. like, Or maybe you just speak to me, but I feel like triathlon fans are going to listen to this and be like, wow, this guy gets it and – and yeah, you well, you, you really yeah. are giving us hope about the the future of, of the the coverage of the professional side of the sport. And I actually also love what you're saying about the the direction that because of what you guys are doing, what you're going to do for the age group side of the sport, make the sport bigger, increase participation at the age group level. Um, this probably makes it much easier for yourself and Ironman and other companies to to make more races and and give more people. Um, age groupers and pros alike opportunities to race and, and enjoy the sport that we all love so thanks mate you've um yeah you've 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 filled me with um with a lot of hope so i, I appreciate this chat more than you probably know and really look forward to you guys releasing the rest of your schedule this year and and then for the years um going ahead like you said you're going to do and and can't wait to to watch the races and and see what you guys do with the coverage and and, and continue watching you guys grow. And I can't wait to talk to you in the future and, and, and see, you know, come back and revisit, well, where are we at at the end of this season? Or maybe even get you on and talk about um, midway through the series this year and, and get an update and, and that kind of thing and continue to grow the sport of professional triathlon together as, uh, as people who love the sport. Absolutely. Look, look, look forward to it. And look, this is not going to be a short term journey, right? Like whether it's six months, two years, five years, these things take time, but the end result can be pretty special. So I look forward to chatting about it in the future. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your time as well, Sam. Thanks for giving me more than 45 minutes. <laughs> <Good stuff. laughs> Hell of the West is one of my favorite triathlon races in Australia. It's a two kilometer swim, 80 kilometer ride and 20 kilometer run. Hell of the West takes place on March 26th this year. It takes place in sunny Queensland on a pretty brutal and honest course. It's proper racing, not one of these more modern courses designed to go super fast and full of draft packs on the bike. Hell of the West has been going for 32 years and is a non-for-profit volunteer run event. It's in Gundawindi and the best part about the race is the atmosphere. The locals get behind it, they line the run course and you really feel special when you race it. Whether you're a pro or the slowest person on course, they make you feel like they've only come out to watch and support your race specifically. It's actually quite a surreal experience. Like You don't really get that in the bigger races. Probably the, the other best part is it only costs $220. You literally get every single thing, if not more, you get at the other bigger middle distance races, but for half the price. Also, Hell of the West is a PTO event this year. So there's $5,000 for the winner of each race, $2,000 for second and $1,000 for third and good PTO points on the line. So if you're a young pro in Australia or trying to become a professional, it's on the same day as Geelong 70.3. Skip Geelong and go to Hell of the West to chase that prize money and those points. Google Hell of the West Triathlon or head to hellofthewest.com to enter or for more details. This race is an experience you don't want to miss.